Episode 128 of the Biven James Isle Show. Character building stuff. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 128 of the Bev and James Oz show. I've got to say, it's actually Easter Saturday right now. I'm doing this on my Easter Saturday. We had a, a lovely Easter Friday yesterday. Went to the cricket and watched New Zealand play England in the cricket. And we did, it was a pretty even game. And I have to say that right now, the, the Poms are killing us. So hopefully that comes around okay. But it's hardly relevant to the show. Uh, this month's show, this this episode is a Bevan show, which means I talk to you in a topic that I find very interesting and maybe can add some insight into your life. And I've got one which is very topical right now. And the funny thing about podcasts is often when somebody discovers your podcast is they go back into the past and listen to your, your kind of repertoire, I suppose, the, the older shows of your podcast. And so when you have shows which is like today's, which is going to be very topical that builds builds into a an area that is something I'm finding really interesting right now. So it'll be interesting to think if you've listened to this, like today is what, like 2018, 31st of March, I think it is. Um, you know, you might be listening to this in 2022 and that's often what happens in podcasts. So if you're listening in 2022, flip me an email because I'll find it quite funny if this is when you first listen to this. Um, just before I get into the main gist of today's show, I've had so much amazing feedback from the podcast, my last episode with the interview with Johan Harry. I do have to give Johan a bit of a pass here. So in the interview, he called me Australian or he talked about Australia a lot. And I think I got quite a few emails from people saying they found it a little bit frustrating because they knew I was a Kiwi um, or a New Zealander. But in fairness to Johan, the way I went about getting the interview was I went through his Australian agent. So I think I told him I was from New Zealand, but in his mind, he obviously just thought he was speaking to an Australian audience. And, and let's be honest, this is a, a global audience. We've got listeners all around the world. But um, So if you were frustrated by Johan, it actually kind of wasn't his fault. And um, yeah, it, it, what a great interview. And it's been an interview, like, I get a lot of feedback on the show. And I get some, you know, pretty positive feedback on the show. And this interview with Johan was one of those ones which is probably one of the, the biggest pieces of feedback I've got so many people who said they lost love the interview and when I, I, I you know this has been a book I've talked about pretty much the last kind of three episodes of this show and I've really tried to champion lost connections as a book that everybody should read and um, through that through my kind of championing of this book I've, a lot of people have gone on and read it and I've got so much feedback from people just telling me how much it has really helped them and I said this when I interviewed Johan, how for me, as someone who hasn't really gone through depression, I had one moment in my life where I think I probably suffered a little bit of mild depression, but generally speaking, I haven't had in my life, I got a lot of value from this book. And I imagine somebody who has had their struggles, and there's nothing wrong with having your struggles around depression, it's it's quite a common thing. This book is one that I believe is a pretty important thing to do. So I'm probably going to leave talking about Lost Connections because, again, I've been championing this book pretty much from the moment I read it. So, But I do recommend, uh, if, if you haven't read it, check it out or pass on my interview. Like seriously, if you think there's someone in your life who could get value from the interview that I did with Johan, 
get in there for listening. Just send them a link to my show and then we can go from there. Anyway, I'm, I'm pretty much going to get straight into the show right now. But before I do, I've got to say thank you to a few patrons, including the big shot Robbie Allen. Um, we've got the team divine Glenn and Gemma Mitchell. We've got all in Libby Hilda. Sorry, uh, Libby. Oh, I actually know all these people really well, which is really cool. We've got Rebecca Bullseye Spears. We've got the marvelous. I don't know who the marvelous is. The name's not there. So if you know if you're the marvelous, make sure you send me an email. We've got Bernadette Parry, uh, Soul Calibre, and we've got Mac for Forest Warhol Eckhurst. These are all patrons of the show who support me and what I'm doing. If you want to become a patron, go to www.bevanjamesisles.com and you'll see the link there on that website to just go to Patreon. And basically, every time I release a show, you'll contribute to what I'm doing here. So that's bevanjamesisles.com. Anyway, I'm going to get into the main part of today's show. As I was saying before, the, this show kind of lives its life in a different way than maybe traditional radio. Traditional radio happened and then it kind of disappeared, whereas podcasts, one of the great things about podcasts is that they really kind of last the test of time. And it's funny, I've been doing podcasting for over 11 years now, nearly 12 years actually, and um, wow, which is crazy when you think about it. And I'll get people who email me and I go back and listen to episodes I did 12 years ago and I always find that quite fascinating and so today I'm going to be talking about a subject that's very topical in this moment um, and it'll be interesting to see again if you're listening to this in 2022 flick me an email I'll find it quite funny but um, hopefully I'm still doing this in 2022 I suppose but there's been a sporting event in the last couple of weeks that has really dominated the news cycle in New Zealand and cricket playing countries um, but I imagine even in countries where cricket isn't played it may have even been heard of and it's the case of the Australian cricket team cheating against South Africa in a test that was being played over in South Africa and I'm going to do a bit of a description around what happened because this is a global audience and I know you know my Australian New Zealand English South African listeners will have an understanding of what's happening but my American listeners, my Canadian listeners, people who don't necessarily have a love for cricket may not necessarily know much about what happened. So cricket is a game where it's a bit different to baseball because baseball, they change the ball pretty much all the time. So they don't really use one ball for the whole game. But in cricket, they basically use a ball for a period of time. I think it's about 80 overs in test cricket. And then they rechange the ball. Now what happens with the ball is over time, when the ball's brand new, it's kind of the best time to use the ball. Well, it's not necessarily the best time, but it's when it's fresh, so it does a certain thing. And then as the ball tires and gets older, what the teams try to do is they try to influence the ball. So it could be more of an advantage for the bowling team and not the batting team. And things they'll do to influence the ball is they'll kind of shine one side of the ball and then try to make the other side of the ball rough. And the idea is that because the ball's moving so fast, it might make it swing in the air. So things like that is what they're going to do. Now, there's legal ways where you're allowed to try to influence the ball. So, for example, you'll see cricket players, as they throw the ball to the next player, the next player will start rubbing the ball on one side like crazy down their body. And you're allowed to do that. But one thing you aren't allowed to do in cricket is on the rough side of the ball, so the bit you're not trying to shine is you're not allowed to rough it up in illegal ways. And in the last week, South Africa um, were playing Australia. And 
in the game, it must have been fascinating to watch. I find this really fascinating because in the game, as the game was being played, the cameraman could see that one of the Australian cricketers was looking like he was trying to rough up the ball. And, and nowadays with the cameraman, they kind of it's a big topic in the sport. So you could see that he was kind of cheating. And they kept the cameras on him. And basically, I think when the game was happening, they kept showing this on the big screen. So the players out in the field and the umpires out in the field, they could see what's happening. So they, I think they actually went up to the guy and talked to him. And he could see that he was going to get busted. So he pulled a something that was yellow out of his pocket and then put it down his underwear, trying to hide the, you know, the thing that he was using. Well, ultimately it turns out that he'd put sandpaper in his pocket and he was using that sandpaper to make the rough side of the ball rougher, which was trying to give his team a competitive advantage. So ultimately that is cheating. Now, him being caught is pretty bad, but the real incident that happened was post the game, there was a press conference and the Australian cricket captain, a guy by the name of Steve Smith, basically admitted that himself and his leadership team had told this younger player that he should cheat in this moment. And the implications of this have been actually really massive. And it's really interesting to watch how a cheater will be treated. Um, now, I'm not here to, to judge the um, the implications of what's happened around this, but it is pretty fascinating. Like, Steve Smith... Um, Warner is the other player, I think it's Bancroft, is the third player who was the guy who actually did the, they're the ones who've pretty much been taken to task for what's happened, and it was really fascinating, like the other night on TV they had the news piece where Steve Smith was walking through the airport in South Africa flying back to Australia, and it reminded me, I don't know if you guys watch Game of Thrones, but this is Game of Thrones where one of the characters has to walk through the streets naked and, and um, the whole public is just booing and throwing stuff at her. And, and, and to me, this moment that Steve Smith had to go through at the airport was very much like that, just a, a nakedly exposed person being put through shame at the highest level. And then he arrived in Australia and he had to do a press conference and uh, he broke down and he was very emotional and understandably... Um, and he broke down, someone asked him, what would you say to the kids of Australia? Because he's a role model. Like in Australia, the cricket stars are, like in America, think Michael Jordan. Well, in Australia, the cricket stars are the biggest sports people. Steve Smith is like the Michael Jordan in America. You know, so the massive, massive star. And he broke down and he talked about how how much it's hurt his parents. And uh, he was pretty composed you know, showing disappointment up to that point, but once he started talking about that, he he really broke down. And it's it's a really interesting thing, isn't it, when we think about cheats. And if we think about cheats in sport, there's some really obvious names that are going to come up. Like some of the real obvious names is like a Ben Johnson, isn't it? Like Ben Johnson was probably the first internationally recognised named steroids cheat. You know, I think maybe Joe Public would have maybe have known about cheats, drug cheats before the uh, 1988 Olympics, but once Ben Johnson came along, that was the first time we saw drugs at the highest level. Um, Tanya Harding, you know, obviously that you know taking out Nancy Kerrigan, you know, boyfriend to chop her knees off, or not chop them off, but basically break her leg. Um, Lance Armstrong, you know, Lance Armstrong is. Was was one was the most respected athlete in the world for a moment. He was the man, and then it turned out he was a cheat. Uh, 
Tiger Woods is a different story, isn't it? Because Tiger Woods isn't actually a golfing cheat. You know, his is, he wasn't who he portrayed himself is. And Tiger Woods is a really interesting one because he he isn't actually a cheat. But there's been a mislead, there was a misleading of who you are in the public eye into who he was in real life. And this is this is really, and, and I suppose the first question we need to really explore it here is, what are the expectations we put on sports people? And this is a really interesting thing. And, and one of the things I often think about in life is that how certain people in certain positions get put on a pedestal that is unrealistic. And what I mean by that is that certain people in certain positions, sometimes it's just fame. Like I remember, it's funny, even as a group fitness instructor, so I teach aerobics to hundreds of people every week. And... I remember telling younger instructors, I often tell younger instructors, when you stand on stage, people think you're better than you are. And it was not to say you're not a good person, but when you stand on stage, because you're doing something that most others would find hard, public speaking, exercise, in front of a group, like, you know, what what is, you know, they say that speaking in front of others is the thing people fear the most. Well, group fitness instructors do that while doing a thing that most people find hard, which is exercise. So when you do, when you're in that position, the world almost thinks you're a perfect person. Now, Group fitness instructors are far from people. And it's the same as sports stars. Sports stars are far from perfect people. But because they get put up on a pedestal, in some ways I do feel for poor sports stars because the expectation on them is a lot higher. And it's really interesting watching the scarring that's going to happen to these young men around an incident that happened. Now, they cheated, and there should be a consequence for how they cheated. But they had a piece in... Um, the newspaper the other day about a, a, I think it was Greg Chappell. So Greg Chappell is an Australian cricket player. It's a very famous incident around cricket um, from about 30 years ago. And basically Australia were playing New Zealand in cricket. And cricket is when you bowl the ball, you bowl it over your head. So you kind of run up and you bowl it over your head. In Australia, New Zealand had a chance of winning the game by hitting a six off the last ball, which is a very, very hard thing to do. And at the time, in the rules, you could bowl the ball along the ground, which basically meant it was impossible for somebody to hit a six because you can't hit a rolling ball up over, you know, 80 metres over this over the ground. And the Australian, now, while it was a rule that wasn't against the rule, it had never been done. And Ultimately, it should have been illegal to do this, but that's never addressed it. And in this moment, because the Australian team didn't want to lose, the captain, I think it was the captain, told his player he has to bowl an underarm. And you can imagine the the what the explosion of disappointment in the Australian cricket team that happened after that moment. And it was really interesting. There was a piece in my local newspaper or on, on a local website recently about... Greg Chappell, and he's the guy who rolled the underarm. And to this day, it's it's a joke in New Zealand and Australia. You know, the underarm bowl is kind of really well known. And But it was really interesting reading this article. Like, Greg Chappell basically ruined his life. He said, a day hasn't gone by where somebody hasn't asked me about that incident. And, and he kind of, I don't know if he was jokingly saying, he's just saying, finally... They'll put their attention on someone else, and who's meaning Steve Smith and, and the others who cheated just recently in South Africa, and that's that's the, you know that's a pretty big cost, isn't it? You make one mistake, 
and you you know you're going to own that for the rest of your life and some of that's when you think of sports stars you know you do go into a, an arena where everyone knows you and you go into an arena where um there's big rewards for everyone knowing you and there's big rewards for doing what you do but there's also massive costs if you make mistakes and Greg Chappell, was, it was actually quite sad reading this because at the end of the day, he made a mistake in a sporting thing 30 years ago. And let's be honest, we all make mistakes. Nobody listening to this is perfect and we've all made mistakes in life that we are disappointed in ourselves about. And when you're someone like Greg Chappell who's done that in front of nations and then that defines how you're seen for the rest of your life, that's a pretty hard thing to go through, isn't it? And, uh, and and to be honest, based on this article, he never really rebuilt his life. It was quite fascinating. It'll be interesting to watch Steve Smith and, and Warner and, and um, the other players as they move forward in their life after this moment. But, but it was really interesting that this incident happened because I've been reading a book at the moment right now called How to Win by a Guy Called Jim Lauer. And Jim Lauer, I, I, was, I did a course on writing emails for marketing. I do marketing for my business. And so I, I did a course on that. And the guy who I did the course with, he recommended reading some of Jim Lauer's books. And I love reading good content. So I got onto this book, Jim Lauer. And he says L-O-R-H-R, L-O-E-H-R, I think it is. So you can check that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, his book, How to Win. And he introduced me to a concept which I really, really loved. And it's really shifted how I think, but it's really applicable in this moment around the idea of cheating. And he starts to talk about character. And it's funny because as a coach, I always will say to people, it's character building. You know, like even to my daughter, I used to say, oh, baby, look, you got to do it, it's character building. But as a running coach, you know, like if it's a wet day and people are thinking about not turning up, or like recently I put a Facebook Live post up just to my runners and just saying, hey, you know what? It was a pouring wet day and they had a session that night. And I said, you know what? You can turn up. But it's, it's a character-building moment. This is a moment where you can build character within yourself and kind of identify yourself as a certain type of person. And, you know, and lots of people turn up. And I got lots of good feedback saying, actually, it made me turn up, and I'm really glad I turned up. And as a coach, it's that kind of understanding that we want to be tested in life because when we test ourselves in life, that's where we see growth. And that's really rewarding, and so on and so on. So this term of, oh, don't worry, team, it's really character building, is, is something I love kind of promoting. But when I read Jim's book, I see the problem when we talk about character building is there needs to be better definitions around character building. And one thing he talks about, he kind of defines what is winning, and he talks about the two different types of winning, external winning and internal winning. So external winning is the person who's trying to prove to the world that they're successful in ways that, you know, if we think back to the interview I did a few episodes ago around the kind of idea of affluenza, you know, I'm successful because I have a big house, I have a, I'm successful because I have a good car, I'm successful because I'm better than you at this thing, it's this kind of... I, the things I represent mean I'm successful. Uh, and that's an external way to get validation in, in life. And what he is really saying is that ultimately people who chase external motivations often never really feel satisfied. And the thing he promotes is the sense of internal evolution. Is probably a good way of putting it. So he really promotes this the idea of your journey should really be about internal evolution and the activities you do and 
um, the goals you chase and the development you do should be about the growing of the true self. And if you've listened to my work, this is this is nothing new. This is kind of probably similar to what I talk about, maybe in a different way. But, you know, I've always been a big believer in, like, when I did Ironman, sure, I wanted to do a sub-9 sub Ironman, and I never got there. But the real journey was, how do I become a higher-level self? And I didn't get nine hours, but I definitely got a higher-level self. And the nine hours was an external goal, but the internal goal was the higher-level self. And so I walked away from that sport feeling like, I don't know if win is the right word, but I feel like I'd achieved what I'd hoped to achieve from that sport, even though technically I never got the time that I desired. And that's kind of a good way of kind of explaining the difference between external and internal. But then what he does is he kind of says, but there's lots of people who achieve amazing things, but they've chased the external and they're really unhappy in life. And, and a great example is Andre Agassi. If you read his book, Open, which is one of the best sporting books you can read. If you haven't read Andre Agassi's book, Open, I highly recommend you read it. And um, and Jim actually, I think, worked with Andre when he was a young kid. So it's, he's got some pretty interesting insight. And he talks about Andre Agassi and his book, How to Win. And... Um, the fascinating thing, as you discover in Open, Andre Agassi's book, is that he was a really unhappy man. Like, he was really dissatisfied with his life. And he was a guy who, to the external world, had it all. He was an attractive, influential, um, wealthy, um, admired, successful sportsman. You know, there was a moment where Andre Agassi was the man. And ultimately, internally, he was unhappy, dissatisfied, um, lost as a person. And he then goes on to talk about um, when Andre actually found an, an internal focus in his life and how now he's actually a happy person. I can't remember what the internal focus was, but there was something, uh, I think it may have been some charity or something that Andre now works with, and it gave him a sense of purpose, which was about more, more internal and how actually he's, he's the healthiest and happiest he's ever been in his life. And that's when Jim then goes on to introduce the concept, which I really, really loved. And he started talking about character building. And character building is, again, you know, what I always promote. But he said, when we say character building, we, we, we need to kind of define it in a deeper in a deeper way. And what we need to be defining character building is we need to look at it in two different types. So character building needs to be looked at as, as a performance character building strength and then moral character building strengths. And he says when we look at people who are maybe achieving a lot but ultimately dissatisfied or unhappy or lacking as a person, they might have amazing performance character traits traits but they really lack with moral character traits. And if we think of the, the names that we've talked about today with cheating, you know, if we think of Steve Smith, if we think of Ben Johnson, if we think of Lance Armstrong, if we think of Marion Jones or, or like a Tonya Harding, these people who we all look at now and, and the thing that they're thought of now is cheats. Like Lance Armstrong was an amazing athlete, he cheated, so we just see him as a cheat. Now, if when I say Lance Armstrong, and I were to say, do you think he had amazing self-discipline? Do you think he was one of the most determined people you would ever meet? Do you think he had the ability to concentrate like absolute levels you'd never seen? Well, we're all going to say yes to that, aren't we? 
if we're going to say Steve Smith right now, do you think he had mental toughness? Do you think he had, um, you know, the ability to be adaptable to a situation? Yeah, he, he probably did. And that's what we think about, that's what Jim's saying, is that people who tend to be externally focused, all they tend to do is focus on performance character traits. Now, if we think of Lance Armstrong and Steve Smith and Ben Johnson, and we talk about moral character traits, and I'll name a couple here like honesty, integrity, and fairness, do you think they were very good at those areas? And when we look at Steve Smith right now, he had a moment to test himself, didn't he? Because apparently what happened was, uh, David Warner, I think it is, is the other cricket player, and he was the one who was really suggesting this happens. Now, in that moment, Steve Smith was the leader of a team, and he had a, mo- a moral test of character at that moment, and he made a bad choice. Now, as I said, he's paying the price. He's, he's lost his career for a year, if not more. He's lost the captaincy of Australian cricket team. He may be like Chapel, where for the next 30 years, that's how he's going to be seen for the rest of his career. And this guy is arguably one of the best batsmen in cricket of all time. So he has lost a massive amount in doing this. But he's also lost how the world sees him. You know, now the world sees him as someone you can't trust. And I remember I remember when I was a kid, I once cheated at school. I once I was a poor student, and I failed everything. And I had a, a social studies teacher, I can't remember her name. And she had done this test and I got my test result back and I don't know if I failed, but basically as she was passing it out, I changed one of the answers, so I got the answer right. And that may have got me to a mark, I don't know. I wasn't the most ethical person as a young kid, let's be honest. Um and I took it up to her and I said, oh, I think you've got this wrong. And she, and she said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then after about 10 minutes, she came back to me. She goes, no, no, you you know, I, I, you definitely got that wrong. And she'd remembered that I got it wrong. And so she caught me as a cheat. And I remember from that moment forward, she never trusted me. She never trusted me. There was, there was a cost to my cheating. The way she looked at me was, this kid is somebody who can't be trusted. And she always looked at me with a suspicious eye. Now, I created that. I cheated. I lacked moral character in that moment. And that's what Jim is talking about in his book, that when we look at people in certain areas of life, we give them so much admiration because they have amazing performance character traits. But ultimately, maybe they really lack moral character traits. And I'll give you some definitions of what he determines as performance slash versus moral. So first of all, he's got like performances... um, Effort investment, perseverance, self-discipline, constructiveness, capability to work hard, determination, concentration, um, critical thinking, confidence, focus, best energy investment, commitment, seeking challenges, resilience, self-control, ambition, adaptability, resourcefulness, reliability, courage, competitiveness, uh, decisiveness, mental toughness, self-guidance, um, and patience with self. So those are some performance characteristic traits that he has. Now, those aren't all of them, but those are some. And then he talks about moral characteristic traits. So he's got love for others, care for others, kindness, honesty, truthfulness, integrity, humanity, gratefulness, justice, fairness, generosity, compassion, loyalty for others, patience with others, respect for others, and honours. So you can see how there's a real contrast between performance character traits 
and moral character traits. And and Jim's argument is that you, it's not that you should do one or the other, is that when we think about growing and developing ourselves, we should be having a mix of both. And when we when we think about the person who cheats, when they have an external focus. So if we look at Steve Smith right now, winning was the most important thing. Winning was the most important thing. How do we know that? Because, and, and that's an external focus. I need to win to look good for the world. Because in a moment of true test, he was willing to neglect an internal focus of, is this honest? Does this have integrity? Is this fear? In that moment, he chose to go with the external focus of winning. Now, Steve Smith's been caught, and, and as I talked about before, the cost of being caught is pretty massive. Like, look at what's happening to the guy. And if you're in Australia, New Zealand, a, a Pommy listener, you can see the price he is paying. It is a massive price. Like, there's worse crimes you can do in the world where you get less cost. He's, he's paying the price. But ultimately, what if he doesn't get caught? And then what if the, what's the cost then? Because this is a really interesting way of looking at it. Let's say Steve Smith didn't get caught and he gets to be seen as a winner as an external focus. And then that's how he learns to be successful in life. So in his life, he learns that to, to win, I need to neglect my moral judgment and I need to just do whatever it takes to win because that's the most important thing. And it's been really interesting as I've been working through some of the project, and we're going to go deeper into how you develop this within yourself later on, but it's one thing I've been thinking about with this because um, Jim gives you some homework to do in this year, and I'm actually going to share it with you because I think it's pretty valuable, but um, part of it's a little bit about what are your values, and if you've listened to my work in the time, my work's always been kind of, my message has always been, who are you, what do you love, and then how do you grow yourself based on that to evolve, better understanding around what you love and who you are. Um and for that reason, because I've always tried to think about the who of you, a lot of my development is trying to develop my moral side. So the honesty, you know, if you've listened to the show in a while, in a while or in the past, you would know that my five my key values include honesty. So for me, and in that moment where Steve Smith was offered an opportunity, I'd like to think that I would have maintained honesty and would have said no because I can't be honest to my world about this thing. Um you know, I, I can't say that's 100%. No, I think I could. I think I would have because I hold my honesty really high. And I am someone who has thought about my moral character traits and is something I work on in my life. And I'm not doing, I'm not talking about this to say that I'm a perfect person, but I want to, going back to the cost, like one of my biggest values in life is freedom. Freedom to live my life how I want to live it. But freedom to live my life how I want to live it is more than just that. Freedom is more than just that. Freedom is to have the mind where I feel I'm being me. That's what I want to, like, freedom for me is two things, is that when I wake up in the morning, I get to determine my day. That's something that's always been really important to me. But then secondly is that I am me and I am free to be me. If you think of Lance Armstrong before he got busted, if you think of Lance Armstrong, who was the seven-time Tour de France champion, but later on in his career where there was a lot of doubt, there was a lot of, you know, lots of people doubted him. There were still some people who would believe him, but there was definitely a lot of doubt. Can you imagine what his life was like internally? Do you think he was very free? 
Do you think he had freedom in his life? Do you think his mind wasn't consumed by trying to disguise or trying to wrap, wrap this lie up that he had built around himself? Can you imagine how consuming that life must be? And when I think about the value of, of moral character strength, to me one of, that's one of the greatest values of it, is that you're deepening a sense of who you are in a way that allows you to live in this world where you're comfortable in yourself, where you can be yourself and you're free to be yourself and you can actually have an impact on the world in ways that are true to who you are. Like it's interesting, you know, like I don't think any athlete goes into their career thinking I'm going to be a cheat. It's just they get tested along the way. And, and it was interesting because I was talking to a guy there about this the other night. It's obviously a topic that's very popular and, and kind of in conversation right now is this kind of cheating thing. And he, and, and, and he said that, he said, I don't think many athletes go into their career cheating, but the deeper they go, the more they make little chinks in their armour and then the, the stakes seem so high that eventually they, the only way I'm going to win this thing is to cheat and so on. Um, and ultimately it's that kind of, well, I keep making moral decisions where I move away from who I am and I ultimately make bigger decisions where... Actually, it was really interesting. I had a client recently. I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place right now, but they've been in a really bad workplace, in a really bad workplace where they've kind of lost themselves. But one thing I said to them, they've kind of turned their life back around and getting back to a healthy place. But one thing I said to them is you can be really proud that you didn't lose the core of who you are through that time, that you actually held your morals in a time where you were fatigued, overworked, felt undervalued and neglected. Because for a lot of people in that situation, they actually start to lose their own morals. But you didn't. You can be proud of that. And they said, yeah, but I, I'm the kind of person who wouldn't do that. And I said, yeah, but everyone is until the moment where they do the thing they don't want to do. Like every athlete says they're not going to be a cheat until the moment until they cheat. And then the moment they cheat, their mind and their path goes down a different way. And to me, that's actually the biggest cost of of being someone who loses your moral character strength. That if you get caught, your world's going to see you in a different light. My school teacher, Steve Smith, Lance Armstrong, they see you in a different light. And for the rest of your life, often that's how you're ever going to be seen. Actually, another example, we on the news last night in New Zealand, we had a, a, a lawn bowls, lawn bowls is a big sport in New Zealand. And there's a guy who's pretty much one of the greatest players of all time, and he cheated like 15 years ago. And he's still not picked for the New Zealand team. And he still wins all the, you know, but they won't pick him. And he's like, man, it's a mistake I made 15 years ago. I think I paid my price. And, and in many ways he has. Like if he went to jail, he could come back into society. But he's seen as a cheat. He's seen as someone who lacks moral code. And it's really hurt his career. But then there's the person who doesn't get caught. But what's the cost if you don't get caught? Because to me, that's actually the bigger cost. Because you're moving away from who you are, you're losing your identity, and you wake up and you don't know who you are, and and what's that life? And um, it's a pretty fascinating thing. So then, what Jim talks about is, well, how should you grow yourself? And and he really talks about ideally, you want to find a level of 
development around your character traits that really addresses both moral and performance. I'm just grabbing my laptop as I'm talking to you right now. And so his method, and I'm going to share it with you right now, and I think it's a pretty cool method because I've been doing it myself and I've got a few of my clients to do it and I'm finding it's it's a very powerful tool. Like if you've listened to my show for a while, you'll know I love the idea of implementing tools into your routine and tools to help you kind of improve. And what Jim basically says is identify... 10 character traits um, and and you're not looking for it's not saying performance or moral or good you're just saying I'm, I want a mix of both and I wrote down 8 so I came up with love honesty growth happiness freedom fun creativity focus I probably could have a couple more in there and I probably will add a couple more in there so write down 10 character traits and, and if you want to grab a piece of paper Go to some website, just search moral character traits and determine which ones are moral and which ones are performance. And just write them down. So you may want to grab a piece of paper and do it right now with me as you're doing this. Then what he says is grade where you are in these areas right now. Now, I think I told someone my grades and they said, geez, Bev, I thought you'd given yourself higher. And um, I, I, maybe I, I grade myself low because I my grades aren't terrible, um, but they're not blob stellar either and it's, it's not because I'm a sad person I'm disappointed in myself I suppose because I see higher um, and so right now I see with love I'm giving a B honestly I'm giving a B growth I'm giving a C a happiness a B freedom B fun A creativity C and focus a B minus so where are you right now and you might even want to determine why you've given yourself these scores so love actually I have a lot of love in my life and um I probably could have given myself a little bit more, but with my wife, I just want to kind of give her some more love, make her feel more special, um, honesty, I have areas in my life where I'm extremely honest, and then I've got some things which I kind of keep to myself, which I think would be healthy to open up to the world about, so there's a B, growth, um, I, I am someone who does grow, but I'm just not in a moment where I'm growing a lot at this very moment, so like if you asked me six months ago, I was in a real high growth phase, and it's just at this moment I'm not, happiness, I'm actually pretty happy, um, but I've had some stresses recently, so I think I could do a little bit better with that. Freedom, a B, I'm doing pretty well. Fun, I gave myself an A. I actually think I'm having a pretty fun life. Creativity is definitely a C. I, I kind of, I'm very good at practicing process, but actually practicing creativity is something I need to work on. And in focus, I gave myself a B minus. So then what he says is, once you've chosen your 10 and you've graded where you feel you are, choose one. And choose one that you're going to work on for the next two weeks. And so when I did mine, I thought, I'm going to choose focus. I'm going to choose for the next two weeks. And I did this pretty much two weeks ago to the day. I'm going to choose focus. And so for the next two weeks, all you need to do is focus on, and I know I've chosen focus, this sounds funny, but for the next two weeks, all you're going to do is work on that characteristic. Okay, so for me, for the last two weeks, I've been focusing on how do I become a more focused person? And when you do the kind of homework that we're doing right now, is you can think of strategies. So I put down strategies, go to bed earlier, um, make sure I do my morning session, have stop and reset moments in my day, look for distractions, loss of focus, and read them back to redirect them back to a focused place, set objectives for my time. I use this when I play my piano, use strategies that remove temptation that could make me lose focus. So um, at the moment when you do the homework, that's what you'd write down. But ultimately what you're doing is you're just kind of waking up each day going, how can I be better at focus? Now, for me, it's been a really interesting experience because if you had asked me, and I, what did I give myself? I gave myself a B minus for focus. Now, if we go on a spectrum of people in society around how do you see yourself as focused, like if I'd gone against 
Joe Public, I'd give myself an A. I'm actually a really focused person. But just for me within myself, I'm probably a B minus. So like if I went in comparison to Joe Public in most of these years, I probably would have given myself a higher score. But I just think realistically for me right now, B minus is, is where I'm at. So for the last two weeks, I've been focused on being more focused. And I've learned so much about how to be more focused. When you go into a day going, I'm trying to evolve this thing. It's like you put a beacon up in your head and your head's going, okay, well, how, how can I help you do this? And then in moments, you know, I'll be working on a computer and I just see that I'm losing focus. And my mind will go, oh, you're losing focus. What's happening now? And then I think, oh, okay, so how do I get back to focus? And I'll think of strategies or your foresee moments. So like, you know, we, our phones can be a distraction for all of us nowadays. And so one thing I did is that when I got home at night, um, I would put my leave my phone in the kitchen, and then basically for the two hours I was spending with Joe, I just my phone wasn't there, so that's one way I could focus on being with Joe more. So by having this moment, this two week moment where I just focused on one characteristic trait, I've actually learned probably six or seven really valuable lessons around awareness and focus, around strategies and focus, and around implementing these strategies. And I've found it's been a really powerful tool. And I'm going to share an example of one of my clients. One of my clients, I got her to do this as well. And she did gratefulness. And it was really interesting to hear her, you know, so a couple of weeks ago we talked about this. And, and I said, to her, okay, come back to me and do one and just let, let's see what happens. It's worth a stab. And she came back and she'd done gratefulness. And she said it was actually a a mind-blowingly powerful experience. Um, this person is a pretty positive person anyway, so she's definitely a glass half full kind of person and appreciates that they lead a pretty good life. But by spending a couple of weeks developing her character strength around gratefulness, she said what she was able to do is she got it down to a much smaller level. Like, So she may have said, I'm grateful for my life. But then it got down to the point where she was able to go, I'm grateful because I have a garden that I can go out and and just enjoy looking at the flowers. So instead of this big picture, the gratefulness got down to a much smaller level. But then she also opened up my mind because she said to me, what I found interesting is when we think of, like if I were to say to you, what are you grateful for in your life? And most of them, you'd think external things, wouldn't you? You'd think I'm I'm grateful I have a, a, a home. I'm grateful I have, um, friends that I can spend time with but she also started to see character traits or identity in herself that she could be really grateful for so she was saying like I'm grateful I can't remember if this is exactly one of them but it was like she's a bit of an athlete or she's actually a bit of a rock star athlete and she was just saying I'm grateful I'm the person who can get out the door and go for a run so her gratefulness her kind of f- spending a couple of weeks focusing on gratefulness actually made her become more grateful of herself and what a powerful thing to go through and Jim's kind of philosophy is then what you do is once you spend two weeks in one of your 10 areas then you just transfer to another area so like for me my next two weeks starts in two days from now I'm going to, and I've decided I'm going to do love I'm going to do love for the next two weeks I'm going to focus on love in my life and when you think about love in your life, it's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Because obviously I'm going to think about my wife, my daughter, my family, my friends. I'm going to think about myself. How can I love myself more? I'm going to think about those people who maybe aren't that close to me, but I contact in my life. Like my, my, my running group, my, my people at my gym. You know, like this type of thinking around love. And I'm really kind of curious to see what two weeks of focusing on love will do for my life.
And before saying how, in many ways, Jim's work does kind of sit in with the work I do before with myself, because I've always said, well, your growth should be, who are you, which is your values, what do you love, which is the things you love doing, and then how are you going to grow yourself, what goals are you going to set to create deeper understanding around what you love and who you are. But what I like about what Jim's done is he's kind of narrowed it down a lot smaller. Because mine is, you know, my 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 values, my goals, and that we're meant to try to do all five at once or all eight at once. But what he's doing is just saying, focus on one for a period. And so in the last two weeks, I've learned a lot about focus. In the next two weeks, I'm going to learn a bit more about love. And then he kind of says, this is a habit you just want to go to continually in your life. And I love that. I love it. Because when you think about it, aging is wisdom. Aging is wisdom. Or aging should be wisdom in theory. Because a lot of people who age don't get wiser. So it's not wisdom. But if you're willing to work on yourself and you're willing to develop yourself and you're willing to create awareness around yourself, in theory, the version of you 10 years from now should be a lot... There's Siri saying hello. uh, The version of you 10 years from now should be a lot wiser than the version of you now. Like it should be, eh? Like, do you hope that 10 years from now you're a wiser version of yourself? How can I help? Oh, there's Siri again. She's asking if she can help. Well, hey, Siri, I want you to make me a wiser version of myself. Um, and that's that's what we're thinking about here, is that this is evolution. And I love this, this process here because this is a process I'm going to, you know, I, I've got tools. Every morning when I read my kind of Bevan book, I read the tools I use to help me develop myself and this is a tool that I see being really powerful because in the last two weeks I've learned how to be more focused now in 16 weeks from now because I'll go through all the other ones in the next two weeks period I'm going to go back to focus again and do you think I'm going to learn more about being focused especially if I can maintain what I've learned in this two weeks now if you imagine for the next five years every eight weeks or every 16 weeks so probably what four times a year I really kind of put my focus on put the magnifying glass on one of my areas of life that I want to develop in my character do you think I'll be more evolved do you think if you did this you would be more evolved and that's the value of doing this work like do you think if Steve Smith had done work like this do you think if he'd every two weeks of his life, thought about his performance characteristic traits and his moral characteristic traits and asked himself, let's say he'd chosen honesty, integrity and fairness. And when David Warner came up to him and said, look mate, I think we can win this game if we do this. Do you think Steve Smith would have said, yep, this is a good idea? Or do you think if he'd evolved himself as a person and continually looked upon these areas, he would have said, mate, you're you're silly for even asking me. You're silly for even asking me because you know I'm not that guy. I I want sport to be a thing that helps me grow in my life. And ultimately that's what cheaters do. Is sport's a great thing. Life's a great thing. And life puts tests in front of us. And the real value of those tests are making good choices. And that's the thing about sport. It's so much focus on winning. But sports isn't about winning. Sports is about another way to evolve yourself. And if you win, that's really nice. But it's actually not the most important thing. And I tell you, you can tell you that right now. Steve Smith, Lance Armstrong, Marion Jones, Ben Johnson. What we want is we want to be people who know that in our toughest moments, we are the strongest version of ourselves, but not just in a performance way, 
in a moral way as well. And if you can do the work, like imagine if you were doing this work every two weeks, where do you think you could go as yourself as a person in life? It's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? It's a pretty powerful thing. So just to recap, there are ways to live life where you can chase the wrong thing, where you chase the external. And sometimes by chasing that, you can make choices where you ultimately move away from who you are as a person. And you neglect the moral side of your character. The cost of that is massive. It can be the way the world sees you, but also it can be the internal experience of your life. What we want to be doing is developing our moral and performance character traits in ways that evolve us and empower us and make us have a big impact on our life and our world. And if we can do that by using a tool like Jim's tool, which again is identify some, assess where you are right now, focus on one for the next two weeks, imagine where you'll be in your life. And ultimately, as I always say, you'll be a much higher version of yourself. Right, team, that's this week's episode, this fortnight's episode of the Bevan James Isles Show. Um, if you want to get the book, it's called How to Win. If you go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com, it's a book I'm, I'm about two-thirds of the way through, and um, yeah, I think it's a good book, and I can't get a hold of any of those other books. One thing that really frustrates me is publishers who don't make books internationally easy to get hold of on the Kindle, um, because... There's many books that you can't get. So publish. if you're a publisher, just put it to the world. I know there's probably some reason why you don't, but I want to read people's books. I don't want to be restricted by because I'm not in America. So that's my little gripe for the today. So um, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Just you know, go there. You'll see the Patreon link. It supports me and what I'm doing. I'm trying to do great work here to help people grow. So if you want to support something like that, make sure you do. If you do enjoy the show, Go on iTunes, go on wherever you see the show. It is on iHeartRadio now, I think, and it is on Spotify. It's on all the podcatching devices, so you can just spread the word about it. If you've got any questions, you can email me, bevanjames at gmail, and uh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I've got, I'm actually maybe interviewing a doctor. It's kind of talking with a girl from the gym. She's a doctor, and um, she's kind of really into this kind of healthy prescription stuff, and I think it's a topic that's probably a really good topic to talk to. So I may be getting her on the next couple of weeks. If not, I'm sure I have somebody else on for you. So uh, if you are listening on Easter Monday, I'm releasing this on Easter Monday. I'm recording on Saturday. Uh, I hope you have a good Easter. And if you're listening to this in 2022, send me an email. I want to I know. Anyway, that's Bevan out for this week, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time.